Let us pray. Gracious Father, once again we come before You and ask that You would help us and strengthen us as we continue in this worship. (coughs) That the things that will be said will not only be in harmony with the Holy Scriptures, but that it would magnify and glorify Thy holy name and be food to the souls of those who hear. We don't want to just be going through the form We wonder sometimes how often we may be doing that. We know that we live by faith and not by sight. But we do cherish those moments when you touch our souls and our cups are made to overflow. We know that in ourselves, that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. We don't deserve your rich fellowship and blessings that we often seek. And we know not what we shall be. But we know that someday we not only shall see our blessed Savior as He is, but we will be like Him. Scripture says we shall be satisfied when we wake in Thy likeness. I doubt that there's a day that goes by that there's something that we're not satisfied with. And it is a rare thing that we find ourselves being satisfied in this world. And I don't know that we are supposed to, particularly in the things of the world. But help us to be satisfied with Christ as we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Again, we ask that you would bless our study, enliven our spirits, 
and cause us to get a glimpse of thy holiness. Moses asked to see you and you said that no man can see you and live. But you blessed him to see the hinder part, whatever that was. Would you bless us to get a glimpse? It may be no more than the flashing of lightning in the midst of a dark night. And again, we do not ask it because of our worthiness. We ask it because you're merciful and gracious and long-suffering to your children. We pray for friends and loved ones who appear not to know you, that in sovereign mercy you might open their hearts and humble them before the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they would be monuments of mercy to your honor and to your glory. Again, we pray for our nation. You are a just God, and you have told us that the nation that forgets you shall be brought down to destruction. But we pray in wrath, remember mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> Coming back to John chapter 2, we want to look take up next uh, verses uh, 9 through 11. We read these verses this morning, but we want to look at them in more detail. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he, he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, we normally think of hatred as being something that we detest. But I want you to think with me for just a moment. Since love 
is more often a verb in the Scriptures than a noun. And we have shown time and time and time and time again, and we'll say this no doubt many more times before we get through this epistle, that love is an action first, more than a feeling. And I believe that it would be right to say the same about hatred. That it's not necessarily an intense disgust, though I think most often it is that with us, that is, we sinners. But it is an action that is contrary to love. In other words, and I don't mean to minimize uh, the impact of the verse, but when it talks about Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, God's love towards Jacob was in electing him and God's hatred toward Esau was not electing him. Now obviously, Esau was a wicked man. And so, and I don't want to go to the point of saying, well, uh, when it says that God hated Esau, that means He loved him less than He loved Jacob. No, it's not that. God's actions toward Esau was against him. God's action toward Jacob was for him. And therefore, hating our brothers, we may not well, let me re-put it. Let me put it this way: You can have a group of members of a congregation, and while you may not have any intense uh, disgust or disregard to a fellow member. If you do not act toward Him in a Christian way, then you're hating Him. For example, we read it this morning that it says that if we see our brother have need and we shut up our bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him or in you? Therefore, if a brother is in need and we do not 
You know, we might not have any particular dislike for the individual, but our, our brother's in need and we do not go to his aid, then we have hated him. So I don't want you to, uh, I want you to realize when it says, he that hateth his brother is in darkness, that it does not only mean if you just have an intense dis, uh, distaste for one. This word hate is used 42 times in 38 verses in the New Testament. And I want us to look at a few verses to see how God used this Word. And then we'll look at some places in the Gospel of John and in the first epistle of John and in Revelation to see how uh, John used the Word. It, a lot of times people want to see how John used it different from Paul and things of that nature, though it's still all the Word of God. But first of all, in Matthew chapter 5, well-known passage, Matthew 5, taking up in verse 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust, and on the unjust. For if ye love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But here we see that the word hate is used in a despiteful way. Notice verse 44 again. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Here you see hatred is put in the uh, same category with uh, cursing and despite and persecution. Obviously, we are not to do that. In Matthew chapter 6, 
Verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 10, 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And then Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Now that's uh, just in the first, uh, the first book of the New Testament, and you see how the word uh, is used there. But obviously, and, and like I said, some try to say that like in Romans 9, it just means love less. But let's look at Luke 14. It's more than just love less. Luke, Luke 14 Verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now obviously, you don't go around being mean and despiteful despiteful to your kinfolks. But in service to God, Christ comes first. Christ comes first. And there must be a intense aversion to those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ even if it's your closest kin. And that's not easy. But let's see how John used this. We'll try to go through some of these verses quickly. In the Gospel of John, verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 20, 
Every one that doeth evil hateth the light. As you see the contrast here, doing evil is hating light. If you're doing right, you're hating evil. You see, it's not a it's not a feeling, it's an action. All right. John chapter seven and verse seven. John seven seven. The world cannot hate you. Well, he's talking Jesus is talking to the to the Jews here. And uh he said, The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. In other words, the world goes against Christ. This society in which we live and the government under where we live is increasingly more and more showing its hatred and disregard for Christ. You can you cannot say anything against any religion or any group of people without some repercussion. But you can say anything against Christ and the Bible without any repercussion. There may be some slight object, uh, uh, different places where that's not true, but that's the general trend of the day in which we live. John 12. John 12. Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Now, we don't go around trying to kill ourselves, do we? We don't go around trying to uh, stick knives into ourselves or, or hurt ourselves, pinch ourselves, or do any damage to our bodies. But there's one thing that the Christian really does not have any good feeling toward. And that's his sinful self. The Christian 
hates his sin. Yes, sometimes we want to roll sin under our tongue like a sweet morsel. But generally, we hate our life. We want to be rid of this sinful body. We, like Paul, say to, uh, to die is gain. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And yet we know that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is when our body is resurrected without sin. And we are living in a sinless body. Seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? We've lived, uh, all I know is a sinful body. That's the only kind of body I know. I don't know of a body without sin. But I sure long for it. Because I hate this body. Alright. John 15. John 15. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You know why the world hates you? Because Christ loves you. The world doesn't feel good towards you. And the world is quite malicious at times against you. John 17, verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world that hateth them hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know why the world hates you? Because you don't want to go along with it. The world wants you to leave them alone and let them do what they want to do. But they don't want to give you the same privilege. They want to force you into their mold. Now let's go to 1 John. We've already read verses, verse 9 this morning and verse 11 this afternoon. The first John three and thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Verse fifteen. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Chapter four and verse twenty. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
Revelation 2 and verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, you, you just don't have an aversion to them. You don't want to have anything to do with them. Revelation 2.15 So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Revelation 17 Verse 16 And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And then chapter 18 and verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So you can see how John used and how the Lord basically showed this word of hatred. And then back in verse 11, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. Not only if, if a person uh, has aversion against another Christian, as well as he does not show love to a Christian, he is hating that Christian and he's in darkness and he's walking in darkness. And, and, and here's the thing about it. <coughs> he said, darkness has blinded his eyes and he knows not where, whither he goeth. A person that is full of hatred doesn't see it. He thinks he's all right. But it says he's in darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know he's going to hell. He doesn't know that he's out of fellowship with God. And he thinks it's all right. You know, the phrase, uh, well, I don't forgot. Uh, Well, it's something about I don't want to get even. Uh, I want to get the best or something of that nature. But that's the world for you. They want to fight back. And they'll do anything they can. And it sure is bad when a person professes to be a Christian that has so much hatred and spews out so much intense dislike 
You know, it's one thing to hate Arminianism because it robs God of His glory. Or to hate Pelagianism But the individual may not necessarily need to be hated. Some do. Now, I don't want to take this too far either way. David said, Do not I hate them that hate thee? In the psalm. The Christian does not have a hatred of wanting personal vendetta. But the Christian also has a holy hatred for those who hate God and hate Christ. But that's not what John is talking about. He's talking about your brother. Your brother. A fellow believer. The fellow believer. Obviously, when one is walking in darkness, it is talking about one who is unregenerate. Unregenerate. I... have given this and told this before to use it by way of illustration, and I'm going to use it again. I'm not going to call any names, and it's very likely, uh, well, I know that... The, the people that are here hearing me preach, they don't know who the individual or individuals that are the subject of this story. Some people that may hear the sermon may happen to know, but uh, most likely uh, anyone that hears the sermon really do not know the people that were involved. But some years ago... <clears throat> A man, this is all in the same congregation, a young ma- a man and a young lady went away together. The young lady was not married. The man was married. And they were convicted that they were wrong in doing what they did. And so they went back to their respective places and confessed what they had done and asked for forgiveness. And they uh, vowed that nothing... uh, immoral in a sexual way took place. 
The young lady was willing to submit to a medical examination to prove that nothing had happened. The man's wife uh, took him back. The young lady's father was extremely hateful of the situation and he would not even allow his daughter to take the medical examination. The congregation wanted to restore the man to fellowship or forgive him for what he had done but since nothing immoral had taken place. But this man, who's the father of the young lady, was a deacon, and that congregation had him uh, ruling that uh, uh, for forgiveness it had to be uh, 100%. And he said, I'll never forgive him. And on his deathbed, his son, who was a member of the same congregation, this father made his son swear that he would never forgive him. I don't know how that you could say anything other than this man had hatred in his heart and was in darkness and evidently died in darkness. And very likely the son did too. You see, if you're not willing to forgive, Jesus said, I won't forgive you either. You say, where is that stated? Well, let me read it to you. If I remember correctly, it's Matthew 18. Matthew 18.35 So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. That's Matthew 18.35 When a brother has repented and shows repentance, and one is not willing to forgive. He has hatred in his heart. He is in darkness. And he's walking in darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going. Very likely he doesn't know, unless God grants him repentance, that he's going to hell. That is, unless God grants him repentance. 
If God grants him repentance, hallelujah. It doesn't matter how one conducts his life. If he currently has hatred in his heart against his brother at this particular hour in time, then he has always been in darkness. Notice what it says. He that saith he is in the light, this is verse 9, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You say, well, I know, you know, so-and-so, he lived such-and-such a way, and he's been this, and he's been that, and so on and so forth. But if he hates his brother right now, he's been in darkness all beforehand. Pretty strong, isn't it? John doesn't mince words. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. In other words, he's walking in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling or scandal in him. The heart is not empty. The heart either has love or hatred. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Now you remember that we've already gone through what love is. And the essence of love is that it is a self-sacrificial love that gives of itself for the happiness and well-being of the fellow Christian. I've got some more to say about this, uh, verse 10 and verse 11, but if I try to take it up, uh, it'll be too long to get through this afternoon and so the Lord willing will uh, stop here and take up there the next time. Let's pray. My Father, help us to take this seriously. It's quite easy for us to take up a personal grudge or a personal vendetta and sometimes that being against a brother. Not only if we do that, It's bad on our part. But help us to, to overcome in such a way that 
we're walking in the light. As you are in the light. That we're having fellowship one with another. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's quite clear. And that we're not to take these things lightly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.